0: Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's online community forums, offering peer support to nurses on a variety of topics, with information available at aacn.org forward slash online community. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden.
1: This is Connie Barden, and I'm thrilled today to get to talk with not one, but two guests. I'll be talking with Hunter Jeffers, who's a nurse manager, and Levi Wynn, who's an assistant nurse manager. And both of these colleagues are at Wexner Medical Center at The Ohio State University in the great state of Ohio. So welcome to both of you.
2: Thanks, Connie. Excited to be with you today and excited to do a podcast for AACN. Thanks, Connie. So excited to be here.
1: Super. So those of you who are listening, the first voice you heard was Hunter, followed by Levi. So you can uh, sort them out as we go along and get to know these guys better. I'm excited about this because you all have so much to share. The topic we're going to talk about today really has to do with managers newish in their role, and we're focusing a lot on what you all did during COVID, but really the innovation that you led, bold innovation, changing people's perspective, and really how some nurses even found joy with some of the innovations that you all led along the way. But one of the things that I know is that at the time that COVID started, both of you were relatively new in your roles. So do you want to give us a little background on that? I guess, Hunter, since you're the manager, we'll start with you. How long had you been in the role? And then we'll hear from Levi.
2: At the onset of the pandemic, I was actually an assistant nurse manager for the medical ICUs. I'd been in my role for 11 months uh, when we first got our first official COVID patient. We had met Levi just a few months before he joined us in January, um, so we were happy to have him as an addition to our team, but we knew him from before. Uh, Levi and I actually sat at the same orientation table together at Ohio State about five years prior. Both of us had a lot of experience in critical care at Ohio State, me in the medical ICU and Levi on the oncology side. So it was scary, but we were grounded in the fact that we wanted to be devoted to our staff and take care of them in the way that we would want uh, to be cared for if we were them in their shoes. So, how
1: about you, Levi?
2: Yeah, so as a new graduate nurse, um, I started in the
0: surgical ICU in the James, which would be our oncology hospital. I was a nurse there for a little over four years, and then I did a couple years of travel nursing out west. Um, And then I came back and began my role as an assistant nurse manager in the MICU on January 6th of 2020. Um, So two months before the pandemic hit Ohio State. So uh, it was definitely an interesting experience to be in. Um, I was starting out as a new leader and I was starting out as a leader during a pandemic so it was definitely a wild ride but it was um, one that I'll never forget that's for sure.
1: Well no kidding and so the first question that comes to mind both of you at the time being new in your role and Hunter you're now the manager so you must have done pretty well you went from A&M to manager during that period of time no matter what though, surely imposter syndrome must have crept up along the way. And I understand there at Ohio State, there are a lot of seasoned nurse leaders who've been in their position for quite a long time. Did either of you deal with sort of feeling like an imposter? Like, what the heck am I doing here, especially at this point in time? Either one of you?
2: I was never fearful of, you know, what people would think of us or or anything like that when things started. Truly what we wanted to do was make sure that we were there each shift to make sure that our staff felt safe. I know a lot of organizations have trouble implementing huddles um, at change of shift, but that was something that we had recently implemented, and boy, did we see people at our huddles at the start of COVID. Things were changing seemingly every 12 hours, policies from the CDC, in our state, and in our organization. So we made sure that we were there so that they felt safe so that they felt they knew what was the most up-to-date and we took that on on our unit because we wanted to be there to relay that information and I think that communication early on and you know Levi only being you know with us for just a few months and everyone's willingness to be present come to work every day show up take care of our patients our jobs take care of our staff so that was our drive and that's what that's what we were here to do.
0: I would piggyback off of that and say to um, Hunter and I both had five plus years of critical care nursing experience. So um, we both were charge nurses in our units. So although we weren't like managers or official leaders, we were leaders on the unit. We were, you know, in charge of staffing and uh, making sure all patients were being taken care of. So we were leaders before, but now we were just like official managers uh, in the medical center. Like Hunter had said, um, you kind of just with the huddles, everybody, this was new for all of us. So everybody just came to huddles and, you know, things were changing minute by minute, hour by hour. So that was one thing that uh, just ensuring that we had, we made sure our staff had the information they needed to be safe and take care of their patients was very important.
1: Well, you let me, Levi, right into my next question, which is um, a lot of times we hear that it's hard for folks who've worked in a staff role and then become like, a boss of sorts, whether it's AM or manager or something, would you all say, either of you, in this case, it was a help or a hindrance? People suddenly see like, oh, who left you in charge here and so forth? Or was it really helpful in in this situation that you found yourselves in?
2: I think it gave us an opportunity for our staff to know who we were before the pandemic and, and you know that they could trust us. They knew what kind of nurse we were. They didn't know what kind of leader we were going to be, uh, but they could trust in what they knew about us from before we stepped into that leadership role and just kind of build on that. But they saw in us what we were trying to do. And ultimately, I think we're all the better because of it.
0: I think trust was a big thing uh, during the pandemic because, you know, we we were the leaders who were also hands-on. We weren't in our offices. We were we put on our N ninety fives, our N one hundreds, put on our face shields, gowned up and went into rooms with our with our staff and made sure that um they had everything they needed at, at one point when all of our rooms were isolation rooms. Um It was pretty hard for a nurse to be double to have a room next door with the door shut and things beeping. So we were able to gown up and garb up with them. And I think that that really built up trust with our staff, knowing that we were in the pandemic with them.
1: Yeah, I totally get that. And I think I'm probably going to guess the answer. But with both of you being relatively new to the leadership role, the official leadership role, did you ever waver in your decision, like when you went home at night, think, what the heck was I thinking, that I stepped into this and so forth? Did you ever rethink that and think, boy, would it be simpler if I was just back being a staff nurse again?
2: I definitely had those thoughts, you know, putting in all those hours. And eventually, we started altering our schedules to make sure that we were here, you know, seven days a week coverage. So we would, you know, work four on and two off, the three of us, to make sure that we we're here for our staff seven days a week for the first few months of the pandemic. So, you know, when we were putting those hours in at first, I was like, oh, those 312s were nice. But I knew that we were put in that position, like to take care of our staff for, you know, not only were our staff asking us questions, but as we started to get into the pandemic, Even, you know, seasoned physicians didn't really know what we were dealing with at the time, so leaders were asking us our opinions on things. We were very vital in work groups above and in relaying information to our staff, so I think that was so important that we were being asked, what are you seeing, what do we need to do, how can we provide for you and your staff?
1: How about you, Levi? Did you ever think what the heck am I doing in this job? What was what was I thinking?
0: Yeah, I would definitely say those thoughts had crossed my mind. Um, When I came into this role, I had just finished travel nursing out in California. So I left like the sunny, warm weather palm trees beach every day and came back to a to a pandemic in Ohio. Um, But I would say, you know, we're leaders for a reason and yes the 312 sound great when when you're there five days a week now um but ultimately like we're there to lead and that's what we're obviously that's what we wanted to do so this was actually uh although it was a terrible thing it was something where we grew professionally we grew personally and i think that it was it was great i think we did very well leading during this time
1: uh, sure sounds like it. And I've heard that you all lost minimal number of nurses. Do so you want to comment on what the retention of staff has been like for you? A lot of people have lost a lot of staff thanks to the pandemic. What was that experience like in your unit?
2: So we actually expanded during the pandemic. Uh, we are a, you know, medical ICU pulmonologists are our attendings. Um, So it was obvious that we would be designated as a COVID unit. Um, But even before the pandemic, we had a huge need in our medical center and in our state for more medical ICU beds. Um, So we expanded from 36 medical ICU beds to 48 medical ICU beds during the pandemic, which required us to hire and onboard 50 new nurses we were very selective and we onboarded an excellent team. Throughout all of those interviews and everything that we've said about this, our team is a family and our family only grew stronger in the pandemic because of our shared experience. You know, we have nurses on our unit that have worked with us for over 20 years. They had never seen anything like this. Uh, they compared it to other, you know, public health crises that they had experienced in those first few weeks and months. But It was obvious a few months in that this was totally different. So we are happy to still have many of those uh, 20-year veterans with us. And I think something we're going to talk about in a little bit is the innovation uh, that we had on our unit. And I think the innovation combined with the communication and all the efforts that we put in to make sure that our staff felt safe are the reason that they're still with us today.
1: That is absolutely amazing and inspiring. And I would say, just listening to you, probably a direct product of y'all's leadership from what you've said. Absolutely amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about that innovation. I know you probably did a whole host of things. What are some of the innovations you came up with that you want to share with us today?
2: A lot of ICUs and medical centers across the country probably did similar things uh, to what we did when we were presented with many of the obstacles of, you know, like Levi had mentioned before, all of our glass ICU doors closed and difficulty hearing IV pumps and ventilator alarms. So one of the first things we did was we went out and bought baby monitors. I think we cleared out all of the retail stores in central Ohio for our our 48 uh, MICU beds. So our staff could hear when the ventilators were alarming or, or when IV pumps were beeping, The next thing that came was that staff started seeing things on social media, and they, I've remembered distinctly our medical director uh, reaching out to a few of us managers and saying, you know, what do you think about these IV pumps and putting them outside of the room? How can we do this? Anecdotally, he sent it to three managers, and the manager that had been here the longest said, "Uh, I don't think so. Uh, And the manager that had been here the median amount of time said, maybe, but probably not. And I said, I think we should try. So he replied after the fact and he said, just so you know, this is how all three of you answered the question. And I think we're going to go with uh, the young guy here because I think he might be onto something. We decided we need to figure out how we were going to externalize our IV pumps for all of our continuous infusions, our pressors, our sedation. Uh, So we found an empty room, um, you know, our medical ICU was full, but at that time, you know, the surgical areas were empty. Uh, So we found an empty room to test out uh, our IV pumps. We wanted to make sure that it was safe for our patients. Quality and safety uh, leaders were involved to make sure that, you know, we weren't missing any alarms or wanted to make sure that the process was safe. So the first thing we did was we got our IV pumps externalized. We did a pilot program for two weeks to see how much PPE could we save, if there were any risks to the patient, and then how our staff felt about it. Did they feel like it was safe for their patient? Did they feel like they were safe and that we were protecting them from some risk? They loved the ability to titrate vasopressors through extension tubing, having our pumps outside of our patient rooms, instead of having to garb up and don and doff PPE and masks to try and get in there and titrate a vasopressor. The next thing we did was we heard from our endocrinology colleagues, and they said, you know, the FDA uh, just approved continuous glucose monitors for use. Typically, that's an outpatient device, but emergently, we'd like to help you innovate and bring these into your ICU. We see that you guys already have your pumps outside the room's We can't send a nurse in every hour to do finger sticks and get uh, blood sugars on your patients who are on continuous IV insulin. Let's see if we can make these continuous glucose monitors work in an inpatient setting. So then we had to go back to innovating and making sure that it would work through our drywall from a distance, through our glass doors. Would we be using Bluetooth or Wi Fi uh, for these devices? We came up with a process with our endocrinology NPs and our clinical nurse specialists, uh, and we developed a protocol for applying continuous glucose monitors to our patients who are on IV insulin. Originally, we were wanting to save PPE and protect our staff. Ultimately, we realized that it was what was best for our patients. Ohio State, big on evidence-based practice, big on research, so they were collecting all of that data behind the scenes. Uh, and found that our patients were actually in better glycemic control on a continuous glucose monitor uh, as opposed to our hourly insulin checks with a point-of-care testing. Ultimately, our goal as nurse leaders was to protect our staff and save PPE, but ultimately we found out that we were protecting our patients and providing a better quality of care for them.
1: That's absolutely amazing. So we innovate for one reason, and we have all kinds of other outcomes for another. And I heard a whole lot about collaboration around that. Let me ask you, either one of you, Levi or or Hunter. So we see all kinds of stuff on social media. We certainly did during the pandemic and we continue to, because that's how a lot of people communicate. Some of it's legit. Some of it isn't. What thoughts did you have about, oh boy, here comes another idea from Facebook or Twitter or something. We can't just run off and do this. So what kind of thoughts do you have when things come to you from these unconventional directions, including social media? How do you safeguard safety, having others in your institution know what innovations we're trying and all that kind of thing? You all have to deal with that.
2: So I definitely think, you know, we've seen fake news on the media as the pandemic went on. Typically, organizations are very risk-averse, and there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy to get things approved. The one nice thing that the pandemic provided was a collaborative space for us to get our ideas approved quickly, but also safely. So like I said earlier, our leaders were very invested in wanting to know what they could do to help make sure that we could take care of our patients safely and protect our staff and conserve materials that the supply chain was so affected early on. So while we were doing things quickly, we had our chief safety pharmacist involved and asking a lot of questions. Uh, We had accreditation involved. We had facilities involved. You know, do we need to drill holes through your wall so we can get tubing in and out? You know, what's the best way? Uh, to, to move about this process. So we are very fortunate to have leaders that were invested in making sure that we could innovate quickly, but also safely. So we were happy to be catalysts uh, during that time.
1: what did you see, Levi? What was the good, bad and the ugly that you were seeing? Was it scary at times or what would you say?
0: just to be completely transparent i was one of the uh people who when when this was brought to us i was like oh i don't i don't know about externalizing iv pumps i don't know how if that seems safe like when we're you know we have paralytics and pressors and pain medication and everything else so i was very um hesitant at first but all it took was like the collaboration with all the leaders and the cns's and the educators for all of us to come together in an empty room and have a fake patient laying in the bed and clamp tubing to make sure that the alarms aren't delayed and to make sure that the appropriate amount's getting to the patient at the appropriate time. And then once you see that, it's like the light bulb goes off, like, oh, this could actually be a really great thing for our staff and for our patients. Social media is tricky because it can give you really good ideas or it can just be like something that you're like, where did they even come up with this That. Luckily, this was something that was very successful for our organization and unit, and I think successful across the country. Definitely scary at times. I mean, I I just can't talk enough about our team and how our family there. And just I, I don't think that it could have been piloted or successful or as successful as what it was in the MICU at Ohio State.
1: Yeah, it sounds absolutely, absolutely amazing. Now, I understand there was some grant money involved. You got a grant or you have a grant going forward. I'm not sure on the details on that.
2: So we actually wanted to disseminate our information. Our nurse practitioner colleagues uh, in the Department of Endocrinology were great about publishing and sharing at conferences about using CGMs for inpatients. I think everyone that's listening knows that continuous glucose monitors have been around for you know more than a decade, but there's always been a little bit of bad data that could never let us get them into an inpatient setting. We took the opportunity to collect data and continue to research and and make sure that this was safe for our patients, and we're providing that data. We applied for the Magnet Prize through ANCC and Cerner, uh, and we won that in 2021, um, and that was a $75,000 award for our unit and our organization that we were proud to receive and continue to, to spread this knowledge. Our CNS and one of the nurse practitioners on the endocrinology team, who also is a professor at Ohio State's College of Nursing, we have a great relationship between our academic side and our medical center. They have IRB approval for a research study to continue continuous glucose monitoring in non-COVID patients, so continue to provide that data to show that CGM is safe. Inpatients, including in critical care. We found out during the pandemic this was great for our patients. We want the FDA to approve this for the future, not only for our patients, but to reduce the burden on nursing.
1: This is like groundbreaking work. This really could change the future of patient care. (laughs) It's nothing to do with COVID going forward, right? I hope you all are proud of yourselves. Congratulations on getting that award, and it certainly seems well deserved. Amazing. And I would probably say thanks from all the critical care nurses who are listening because, boy, will they be happy if eventually this gets approved and everyone can start using it to uh, enhance patient care. Absolutely amazing. Let me ask you this. So, newish leaders, boldly innovating, scary times, pandemic, what would you say this leadership journey that you've been on, what are I don't know, one to two or three or four lessons that you learned leading through an experience like this?
0: That's a really good question. Uh, Being a new leader, I would say the the first thing that I learned is the importance of presence on the unit. I've worked at a lot of large academic medical centers across the country and, you know, you don't see like leadership presence like you do at Ohio State and in the MAKU in general. We're the type of leaders who um, will be in our office for a few minutes checking emails or if we have a meeting or something, but then we're up out of the office, rounding the units, checking on our staff. Even if it's just, hey, can we help you with a turn or hey, can we help pass meds just to like alleviate some of the, the things that you need to do? So I would say presence is huge. Communication is probably top as well. It's very important to our staff. They know that we're getting a lot of the information via email and then they're just kind of waiting for us to pass it along to them. So communication with staff is is very important. I would say, this is where I'm going to have to pause because I need to think for a second. <laughs> so communications presence, uh, teamwork, teamwork is huge. You know, like Hunter was speaking to before, we altered our schedules to be 24-7 uh, in the unit. And that was something that You don't really see from a leadership team. We were there Sunday to Sunday. I would maybe come in at 11 a.m. and leave at 10 or 11, 12, 1 a.m. Somebody else was coming in to take over the morning and the day shift. I think that those are really important things when you're becoming a leader, just to realize like your staff is relying on you and you're kind of the person that they're looking to for everything.
1: Amazing. Hunter, anything you would add to that great list from Levi?
2: I would... Add to his communication, we get a lot of emails. We have to forward a lot of emails to our staff. We focused on trying to figure out different ways to communicate as leaders. You know, we have abilities to send texts to large groups um, through certain technology. So we would send text messages of important updates. That way, if staff weren't getting in their emails, we converted our staff meetings completely virtual and we added in PowerPoints and Zoom and Teams meetings, and we would send out links uh, to our staff meetings and text messages. That way, there were multiple ways for our staff to get the information that they needed. And we wanted to make sure that it was at their forefront. Our huddle was a great place. If you can be the one that's delivering that message as a leader and someone's not reading it in an email, you can set the tone for how it's communicated. A lot can be interpreted from black and white words on paper. So I think that was something that was important to us is that our staff knew what we were communicating, but they also felt how we were communicating it. And like Levi said about presence, that's twofold for me. If I'm out on the unit helping, like I'm keeping up my critical care skills. I don't want to forget how to titrate a vasopressor, or forget how to do a skill Anytime we can jump in and help, I think not only is it great for us, but it provides our staff with the knowledge that, hey, my boss can do this.
1: Keeps you relevant and they're going to relate to you a lot more. Yeah. Fabulous. I have to say, I hope I never wake up as a patient in an MICU, but if I ever do and I look up and see you fellows around, I'm going to feel really happy about this staff and this team that you've got there that's going to take care of me. It's just amazing to hear you talk about this. We don't have a whole lot of time left, so I'll wrap up with one question for each of you, whoever wants to go first. You're obviously very skilled and dedicated leaders, so what do you see? What do you want to share? Like, what's next on your journey as a nurse, as a leader, as a human being? Anything you'd like to share?
0: I'm excited to share. So, this past fall, I completed my master's degree, so I got my MBA. And I just recently accepted a position down at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I will be their nurse manager of their 35-bed medical ICU. So I'm set to start that position on June 6th of this year.
1: That's amazing. Now, double congratulations, an MBA and a brand new role as a nurse manager. You go, Levi. That's
2: Thank you so much. Incredible,
1: Yeah. Hunter?
2: Yes, we're so proud of Levi. Uh, he's my first protege or mentee to leave the nest. So I was very sad uh, to lose a friend and a colleague, but so proud of him taking over a medical ICU at another uh, well-renowned academic medical center. Next for me, I too completed graduate education during the pandemic and, you know, expanded our family at home, expanded our unit in the hospital. Um, So went from that assistant nurse manager role to the nurse manager role when we expanded our medical ICU capacity. I'm in my 10th year of nursing. It's been 10 years since I graduated with my RN degree, and I just found out this week that I got into Ohio State's doctoral program for nursing practice, so excited about that.
1: Well, I'm just exhausted hearing about both of you. Congratulations to both of you. Very exciting and unending futures coming for you. Just just fabulous. I'll tell you what, I'm learning about being a leader from listening to both of you. I'm so appreciative that you took the time to talk today. Some of the things that I heard you say really are the power of presence. But what I would say you called out about that is one of you said, we wanted to care for our staff like we would want to be cared for ourselves. Just amazing. And you talked a lot about our staff feeling safe. We took that on. We took it on as leaders. Like we really wanted to do this. And in that was trust. Both of you mentioned it multiple times. I think that's really key to being successful leaders like you've been. I think it sounds to me like it was important. You were leaders on the unit before you officially had it on your name tag. And in this case, it sounded like that actually helped. It doesn't always help people in the transition, but it sounds like that was particularly useful. It sounds too like you were the voice for your nurses. I think it was you, Hunter, that talked about We were able to talk up in in work groups and, you know, with other colleagues about what the needs were and come back and talk to our nurses on the staff really being that go between, I think, probably because you had a lot of clinical credibility and leadership credibility. You talked a lot about your staff as a family. Both of you said that we treat each other like family, amazing retention rates in your medical ICU there. I heard tons about collaboration. I think I was writing it down. I heard nurse practitioners, physicians, clinical nurse specialists. We worked with facilities. We worked at the School of Nursing, the pharmacy. Unbelievable. This is how we do really great work. And you all made this happen as leaders. I think the thing that really touched my heart the most is when one of you said, we knew we were put there to take care of our staff. And what I can tell you as we wrap up is I guarantee you your staff knew that you were put there to take care of them, and and I'm sure they felt it. So thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with us and um, best wishes to you both on your very busy futures as leaders and human beings and nurses down the road.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks, Connie.
1: Thank you for
0: listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast proudly sponsored by AACN's online community forums with information available at aacn.org forward slash online community. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at
2: podcasts at aacn.org.